0: Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time. We talk about the movies we've seen since the last time we did one of these. Uh, I'm David. I'm Tyler. And, uh, yeah, it's been a, a weird week. I haven't been... Uh, I, guess I I watched four movies over the past week. That's not, no. that's not bad. I, I feel like... Well, you know, okay. I feel like if I don't see... If I go to bed not having seen a movie that I hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm uh, not living up to my potential. Um, And most, most weeks I don't get seven movies in, but then sometimes there'll be like a film festival or uh, just a day that I have where I watch five and I sort of catch up. But um, so yeah, I was to the normal person saying I only watched four movies last week would be like, that is plenty of time watching movies.
1: Um, Well, I feel like I'm, it's paltry. I only have two which for and both of them are are rewatches and, and, and as a function of, of school um, and I feel terrible about that but every week at the beginning of um, my college classes I say I ask people what movies they've seen lately or did they you know did you see a movie in the last week? And like one or two hands will go up and that's it. Yeah,
0: I and feel like, like it's. W-
1: what is increasingly, like, I think, younger
0: people just don't watch well. that's movies they're yeah, used to like true, like an episode of TV is like the longest thing. They're used to like oh. YouTube oh, yeah. and then like yeah episodes of television or whatever. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously there are still young people who are into movies. Some of them listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it is. I mean, I, I feel like I've accepted this for years that like by the time you and I. It, hopefully we get nice long healthy lives yeah but by the time you and i are senior citizens i feel like cinema is going to be like like the theater like it's not is more of
1: a specialized niche thing i i don't necessarily think that i also hope that that's not the case um because yeah there i mean theater still certainly theater still exists but i think because the the things that that younger people watch is still in the same vein as movies, which is like a visual thing that you can watch mm, on filmed a screen entertainment or yeah. not film, but yeah, yeah. visually uh, recorded entertainment. I like to think that that's something that someone will, will, uh, ho- that people will la- hold on to, but, but I, I to really what don't point know. to
0: what extent will you like, you, you know, I try to be like, uh, I'd never want to be, out of out of touch or whatever, yeah.
1: But I also I think like, like it's worth exploring. By the way, that uh, that desire uh, you're going to be eventually.
0: I already am in some ways. Well, but sure. I
1: but I I think I can always strive to. Yeah,
0: I think it's more about the. Um, uh, it's sort of, you know, what's funny is I, w- I wasn't going to mention this as one of my four movies because I did watch a fifth yes movie because we got past, we got through uh, St. Patrick's Day. And so I observed my tradition of watching Calvary on St. Oh, Patrick's sure. Day. And uh, there's another movie that really like appeals to me in the term, in the sense that I don't even know for sure whether or not uh, um Father of James i can 't remember his, the character 's name now, but um the priest that Brandon Gleeson plays in that movie i don 't know for sure how much of an actual believer he is, yeah. except that I know he believes in the 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 in an almost monastic sense right. you know that the dedication to this mm-hmm. um, is is important you know and in, in observing the the these um, tenets or whatever is important and so in a much less lofty way I feel like my desire to stay in touch I don't have to, I don't have to always be up to date on everything right as long as I never give up I think I, I, I can tell you exactly where it comes from is that my I mean it probably comes from a lot of other things too but m- my mom for most of my childhood worked with senior citizens like retirement right, or, right. you know, nursing homes and stuff like that. And that was the one thing she said about <laughs> her, her advice for like maintaining good quality of life late into your life is in realm's words, stay interested.
1: Yeah. And, oh, and, that, and the, so I think that really stuck yeah. with me. And I think that I think because it just dealing with, in my case, not merely college students, not merely high school students, but middle school students, um, I I've had to force myself to, to think in these terms. Um, not that I was necessarily like, uh, holding younger, uh, pop culture generations in contempt or anything. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it can be, f- it can be uh, certainly as far as film goes, but like it can always be exciting when some, something new comes along or like there's a, a, a bold new talent or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, or, or a, a, a different sensibility. Um, but I think there's part of me that's just like and so, you know, you're the, you're the one who, const, who constantly not constantly, but regularly says, like, I don't want to be this thing. But I don't either. But then there are times when I have to be like, OK, but there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with making a ju- making a call for myself, which is like, oh, the younger people are doing this. I think that's dumb. Um, like being open to it is fine, but eventually coming no. to the conclusion, like I don't think that's correct.
0: Um, well, I don't know about dumb or incorrect, but there are some things. Okay. Two things. Cause the last thing to, to go back to my previous thought is I've found that as I get older and I know more older people, I've seen it happen. Like I've seen people in like my extended family or whatever, who are like, Netflix just isn't going to happen for them. They're not, they're not going to be on netflix they're right right that's too new for them and they're 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 never going to be and that's like that's that's what i don't want to be but yeah the point i was going to make earlier is at what point as movies to what extent do movies ship and shift into virtual reality and how far do you and i follow them because i feel like not very far for me right vr is something that i'm not it's i'm not scared off by it right it just doesn't seem interesting to me just it with like video games I, I decided and i'm glad i did at a very young age like middle school high school age i sort of realized video games are not for me and i haven't looked back
1: yeah uh i mean i've said it here before i have a super nintendo circa 1991 that's where I stopped. See, I, I did I, play computer games into the mid-90s, so like into my teenage years. But honestly, the computer games that I played, the reason they appealed to me was because they were very story and character based and tended to be actually pretty cinematic in their sensibilities. Uh, and so after a while, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go to movies then. Why, why wouldn't I?
0: The last video game system that I had was a, newer than that. It was a first generation Xbox, okay. which I had mostly for dance dance revolution because that was a fun way to exercise <laughs> yeah, yeah, um
1: this um, revolution revolution is a blast um not unlike uh just now when you were talking about uh like virtual reality and that yeah. kind of thing um i found myself thinking the way we've talked about with uh where elaine uh says it about uh because the character from Seinfeld used to be like super into recycling in the environment, and then after a while she's like, "Who's got the time?"
0: Yeah, I think that was specifically about her being anti-fur. That was because yeah, er- yeah. In, the, in an earlier episode in the series, yeah, she threw someone's fur coat out the window. <laughs> yeah, um, and so <coughs> so yeah, whether allergies be- today. I'm all like raspy
1: i'm sure that's i'm sure the microphone is picking it up and it's annoying people which is why i'm saying it it. sounds pretty sexy honestly (laughs) um but yeah and so that and that's the thing is i i I don't think like i try not to be dismissive like to me the way i look at it is like there are a lot of people making who have a lot of filmmakers who make things on youtube Mm. and just because they're thinking in terms of Ten and fifteen minute videos, if that—that that doesn't mean that what they're doing doesn't matter. Sure, uh, there's yeah. still a great deal of craft uh, and a great deal of care uh, put into that. Um, so yeah, it's while there are moments like when when my middle schoolers say that they want to be YouTubers, they don't say filmmakers or anything like that. They want to be YouTubers specifically. You know, in some cases, my heart sinks, but that's mostly because my concern is that is that YouTube, again, a lot of craft and in, in some cases a lot of money go into it, but it's also possible to be very to be a successful youtuber with very low ambition mm-hmm. um, just like i've got a computer and a microphone and an opinion and yeah. that's you know now i'm a successful youtuber yeah. so well,
0: that's how you become a successful podcaster which we are very successful successful podcast we do all right um all right well um the movies we're going to talk about today are not youtube uh, videos they're real movies <laughs> um just completely get <laughs> everything we just said yeah um all right, so we I have four movies today. Three of them, the first three, are all documentaries. I uh, didn't plan it that way. Uh, I just seemed to end up in a documentary mood. Um, my wife and I went to see a movie that was playing at the downtown Independent called Island of the Hungry Ghosts, Okay, which my wife, when I told her about it, she immediately saying the title to the tune of owner of a lonely heart. And so now <laughs> that's how I hear it. Um, I know the hungry yeah, ghost. Yeah, yeah. um, anyway, uh, and that's, it's sort of like, I, I, I told you, uh, you Tyler and you, the listeners, uh, a, a movie journal or two ago that I saw, um, uh, Mike Lee's news movie, Peterloo, mm-hmm. which is about a real life massacre. And yet I can't not, get Waterloo by ABBA stuck in my head when I see <laughs> as I'm singing Pee-de-loo. Um, anyway, um,
1: do you think a filmmaker should try to take that into account? Just like what, whatever, I'm crazy, whatever <laughs> dumb bullshit could enter somebody. Everything's going to lead to something. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, Island of the hungry ghosts. So similarly to that, it's kind of, uh, Kind of messed up to be thinking about these happy songs because it's about a very, uh, a very heavy subject matter. Island of the Hungry Ghost takes place on Christmas Island, uh, which is um, off the Australian coast,
1: I guess. Yeah. Uh, when I travel, uh, I only ever go there or Easter Island. <laughs> um, I'm not that committed of a traveler. <laughs>
0: All right. Um, uh, and so, uh, Christmas Island is sort of known for two things. One is very much known for red crabs, not food wise. Like it's a, it's home to a, a species of crab and it's a stop on the sort of migration. And so mm. the migration of the red crabs is something that like literally like roads will be closed. So that the red crabs can, can cross people drive around with, um, uh, rakes in their car so if they do come upon red crabs they can gently push them out of the way before oh. driving or there's sometimes there are people who work for like the i guess the equivalent of the parks department who if there's a red crab heavy thing they stop traffic in like golf carts with rakes and then they say like okay we're gonna clear a path you follow us through uh, it's so it's a big it's a big deal yeah uh, people come to see the red crab migration so that's one thing that Christmas Island is known for. The other thing it's increasingly become known for as I feel like so many documentaries over the past few years have been about refugees because Mm -hmm. there's just so much refugee movement in so many countries that don't know what to do with the influx. And so Christmas Island has also become a refugee. It's essentially a detention center. There are people who have come seeking asylum or, um, Uh, yeah I guess they're just asylum seekers I don't but they're essentially they're held indefinitely while the government figures out what to do with them and so we see like I mentioned the Parks Department people taking care of the red crabs and then sort of our main character is this woman who's a her specific job title is that she's a torture and trauma psychiatrist or torture and trauma therapist so she is she's Potentially, I mean, I, uh, ostensibly, she is there to be a therapist to these refugees who are fleeing something terrible in their pasts. Right. And the thing that she's contending with that makes the movie incredibly dis- difficult to watch is yes, you're hearing these stories about the terrible way they, way they were treated, where they came from, but then you're also hearing stories about how terrible it is to just to be in detention indefinitely. Right. You know, and and you know, one guy was talking about like he came. He came from, I think, Syria or whatever with his mother. But because he was like 19 years old, when he got there, they didn't treat them as a family. They treated them as two separate people and they just separated them and took them to separate. Obviously, this is something we're uh, in a more drastic sense dealing with in America in recent months. But uh, they just said, no, you're not. He's like, I'm here with my mom. No, you're you're a single man. You need to get on the single man bus to this. And so like that's when instead of dealing with the trauma of the, the trauma that inspired this man to flee his home, Mm -hmm. I think Syria, I can't, the movies it's intentionally sort of oblique and doesn't like to get to, to narrative or, you know, fact driven. It's more, uh, not that it's lies. I mean, I mean, it's more, it's more about the, the feeling of things. Um, And so instead of dealing with the trauma that he experienced in his home country, it's the trauma that he's processing is of the, the asylum process. And the, this woman talks about no matter how well she thinks a patient is doing in a, in a session or a series of sessions, the fact of just being in detention indefinitely is making them, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? D. Uh, not degrade, but they're, uh, they're falling apart. You know, it's impossible. It's, it's, it's impossible for her to make progress. Plus the fact that they move them to different detention centers Mm -hmm. without, so she never knows when she has, a session with someone or the first session with someone. if that's going to be the only session she ever has, or if they're going to be her patient for two years, those are the exact things that she
1: says. Does the film treat this as though like the, the, that government is doing this wrong or it's more just like, this is an unfortunate fact of the refugee crisis. Uh,
0: That's what I'm saying. The movie doesn't get into that. It is about the experience of this woman and her and her frustrations. Uh, the movie is not, um, very differently than the one I'm going to talk about next. The movie is not advocating for anything in particular. It is clearly just trying to get the feel of this. I do think probably a good step in the right direction. um, Yeah. Well, I I I do think there's something it, if it is saying something, uh, it's something that I, on the one hand politically kind of agree with, but I also think is problematic. I think comparing the way that, the Christmas Islanders and the government go out of their way and cede territory to the red crabs Mm -hmm. um, and do the opposite to the Mm -hmm. asylum seekers. I think, um, I think there's a point to be made there, uh, but I also think anytime you get into comparing a group of human beings to mine, uh, yeah. practically mindless animal like a crab you're walking a very co- thin line it's a you're coming very close to
1: being saying something insulting unless the com- unless the comparison is all about you're treating these not humans right. better than the humans like i feel like that's a perfectly reasonable yeah, uh, uh, conclusion it, to come uh, to uh,
0: yeah i think uh, it's a it's a so i'll say island of the hungry, hungry ghost it's full of beautiful photography so if you like crab, I feel like I like crabs more than I did. (laughs) I like, I'm like into crabs now because of this movie. It's very beautiful. It is also incredibly draining and upsetting because the, these, the, um, the refugees, the asylum seekers are not, uh, named, I think for legal reasons, but Mm -hmm. there are times we, the camera is just with them telling incredibly upsetting stories. Um, it's very difficult. Three.
1: I have three. Uh, uh okay so i guess you should go then yeah okay. So, okay all right sorry about that um okay so i watched these are all rewatches in different uh, capacities i re-watched a film that i had not seen since uh since college um and it is francis ford coppola's the conversation wow um, i don't think i've seen it since then either my uh, father-in-law was staying with us, and so he was watching a number of, of movies, and uh, I was recommending several to him, and he watched the 1970s taking of Pelham 123, really enjoyed it, and so he watched The Sting, so it's like, oh, he's kind of into these 70s like, mysteries and, and thrillers and such, and so I thought, well, maybe you'll like this. And he said he loves Gene Hackman, so it's like, oh, okay. So I watched it with him and it is like one of the, one of the fascinating things to me is that, like, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that Francis Ford Coppola made this film around the same time as Godfather part two, like two of the best movies of the Mm -hmm. seventies. And he made them in the same year. Now, admittedly one of them, the scope is much larger, but the conversation is not, it's, it still required a lot of time and precision, especially in the editing uh, and in the storytelling. It's a it's a wonderfully put together film. Uh, it has, of course, marvelous sound design as it should. Uh, I love um, Gene Hackman's performance, and it's like it is not a film that. When I say that that Godfather Part II obviously had a a much larger scope um, and probably took more time, that's not to suggest that uh, the conversation required no ambition. In many ways, it requires maybe a bit more discipline uh, because it's a thriller and so it needs to be kind of taught. But it's also a 70s thriller where it will take these little uh, digressions to kind of delve into this guy's life. And so it just uh, it's it's a film that could have felt like an afterthought when you when you take that into (laughs) consideration. But it isn't. It is something that clearly Coppola was passionate about and really liked. Um, And I, I it's it's one of my favorite movies ever because it's also on top of everything else it's also a really really good portrait of loneliness yeah. um, with the character i mean the passion is something
0: that just goes hand in hand with coppola i think in, mm-hmm. in so many ways i mean i never saw the rainmaker but uh i i know people who 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 like it uh, uh a lot in fact
1: i'm thinking of the rainmaker because it's something that will come up later yep. uh, in it the is, episode it's a very good movie um, but i'm not sure if it it doesn't reek of passion but it it reeks of care
0: I'll yeah yeah I, I, I feel like he's someone who does not make movies or do anything in his life trepidatiously Um, which is why he's willing willing to be like broke (laughs) despite being like one of the most respected directors uh, of
1: of all time. He kind of just like, he makes enough money to make his next movie when you, and when you look at Jack, I think you see him being like, you know what? I think I'm done with this studio thing for a while. I think I'd rather have no money at all. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That one, you don't see his hand in there at all, but yeah, he's like at the top of his game uh, with, the conversation
0: so my next movie actually it aired on hbo it's it played at uh it premiered at sundance 2018 air on hbo but in light of our recent conversation about what is a movie i have decided sure it, it's a movie um it's a documentary that is very much advocating for um uh testifying on behalf of uh a certain uh, a certain cause but it's one i t- happen to believe in i also think it's done in a very artful way or, or at least a very uh, powerful way mm-hmm. because it's not, it doesn't throw facts and figures and doesn't have gra- graphs and animation and stuff. It's a movie called The Sentence and um, it's directed by the brother of this woman who, uh, when she was in her early 20s, she was living with her boyfriend who was a criminal and a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was murdered. And uh, short, um, almost immediately after he was murdered, the cops showed up at their house and found. Uh, a bunch of drugs and illegal guns mm-hmm. um and this is the house that she lived in um and at the time uh, I say cops it wasn't the cops it was the the feds that's uh important this is a federal issue um, uh so at the time they decided not to pursue her you know um culpability or whatever okay so she went on, cleaned up her life, met another man, got married, had three kids with him. So we're talking like six, seven years later, her youngest child is like still nursing. And one day the feds show up at her door and say, you're being charged with criminal conspiracy, uh, because you knew what was going on. And because of, it doesn't matter the extent to which you knew or the extent to which you were involved because of mandatory minimum sentencing for drugs. And that's the thing this movie is against. Uh, you will spend
1: 15 years in prison after seven, six or seven years later, it does kind of feel it, like there'd be a statute of limitations it, it, on. Yeah. I don't know for criminal,
0: things. criminal conspiracy. Um, I don't know what it is, but, um, uh, but this is, this is the issue is that the, um, the, the, so it's, it's her brother who directed the movie. They are in no way arguing that she was innocent of the crime. They're right. arguing that a, f- a 15 year sentence for this crime especially years after right. it had taken place when she had, she had had no other transgressions in that time. And it yeah. had clearly taken a new path in life um, is incomprehensibly unjust. And the movie makes that argument by spending, uh, it probably spends about eight or nine years with her family. Mm-hmm. And you just see how much this mandatory minimum sentencing that no one, it's not like the, the judge didn't throw the book at her. That's the point is that the judge, this was the absolute least the judge could give her for these, for this, for this crime. Um, and to see how something like this just devastates a family, an immediate family, you know, her, her, her husband and their three daughters and the, and her, uh, brother and sister and her parents. Yeah. Um, uh, the movie is you know, I I said island, of the Island excuse me, Island of the Hungry Ghosts is emotionally very draining. Um the sentence is it goes on a different journey, but it is as as just as emotional in its in yeah. its own way. It's very very powerful stuff and um uh these mand- mandatory minimum sentencing things are still on the books in a lot of cases um uh i don't like to get into praising presidents but president obama did commute up, mm-hmm. like 1500 sentences i think uh of yeah. of this of this type so they're you know uh, credit where credit's due um uh i i i support that he did that uh, i think that's a good use of executive power. I think. Uh, yeah. I vetoes think so, and yeah. pardons are because we're getting into, you know, I've got a long track record of being opposed to, uh, executive orders because mm-hmm. each president seems to use them more and more. And now we've got the emergency declaration, uh, which it drives me insane. Um, but, uh, uh, certain presidential powers. I think the president should be America's chief diplomat. The president has a veto power. Mm hmm and pardons and commutations. I think these are, yeah. uh, uh, these are things that a president, uh, should do. There are probably other things that I'm <laughs> missing. Nope. But uh, you got it. But yeah, I mean, cutting ribbons and stuff. Pardoning <laughs> turkeys. Sure, yeah. Oh, that falls into it. Uh, yeah. Pardoning turkeys. Exactly. Um, anyway, so the sentence it's uh, yeah, it's on, uh, HBO go. If you or HBO now, whichever one you have definitely worth, worth watching. And it's just, yeah, to take something that I already, I already v- felt a certain way about mandatory minimum right. sentencing, but to
1: see the actual human toll that something like this takes. Does the... Not that this necessarily matters on the on the sentencing or anything like that, but just out of curiosity, like, does it give a reason why the feds arrived so it doesn't long really, after? It doesn't That's really. so strange. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because I mean, it could be that her
0: late ex-boyfriend was a part of maybe a larger organized crime sure. thing, and this was... They were waiting to get all the, and yeah. like, like you see on the Sopranos, a bunch of indictments come down at once, right? you know? Right. So maybe that's, maybe the, the, maybe she was just caught up in an actual much bigger sting of a bunch of people who were yeah. uh, involved in, in one organized
1: crime ring or drug ring or something. I don't know. It, yeah. It doesn't spe- particularly, doesn't specifically say, all right. So my, speaking of films with a cause, uh, this is once again, a, uh, a rewatch uh, this week in my, intro to film class I teach two different uh, classes of it um, one of the classes is four hours long the other is three and for the most part the syllabus is the same but I'm also uh, free to do what I want and so I thought I the good thing about this four hour class is that it actually gives me the opportunity to watch stuff that's longer than two hours two and a half hours um, and so we were talking about editing Okay. And so I decided to show uh, my Monday class, which is, which is actually uh, high schoolers getting college credit, um, a film that is, in my opinion, one of the best edited films ever, and that is Oliver Stone's JFK, The Director's Cut, which is three hours and 25 okay. minutes. Wow. I don't think I've...
0: Yeah, no, I have seen The Director's Cut, I think.
1: Yeah, it's... Is it's, it like Fred Willard is in it? Is that right? No, John Larroquette. John Larroquette, like in the the
0: talk show. Thing. Yes, yes, and that, yeah. That, so I've seen that once. Okay, because I did, I've only seen that scene, which is not in the theatrical. Right, cut.
1: right. Um, and then uh, Michael Rooker's return as like possibly a guy like now working with the government, whatever it is. Like that was not in the theatrical huh. cut. Um, the theatrical cut was one eighty eight, uh, and then the director's cut is two hundred five. So it's. Not a lot longer, but it's notably longer. Yeah, uh, seventeen minutes is a lot.
0: Actually, like yeah. I, I feel like we think that it's not in life, but in movie, yeah.
1: in movie terms, right. it is. Like because you can think as far of, as percentage of JFK, it's not that long, <laughs> uh, right? But yes, I know what you mean.
0: But like I, I'm saying, there certain to stick with Oliver Stone, the like director's cut of natural born killers is only mm. like three or four minutes longer, right. but it's, it makes an impact. Yeah. Um, there are just, I don't even think there's any like real full scenes that are not in. It's just mm. like certain scenes go on longer or have right. different or edited differently. Um, Tommy Lee Jones severed head is not in the theatrical. Oh, uh, it isn't. Cut. Oh,
1: then I guess I saw the director's <laughs> cut. didn't realize it. Okay. Uh,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, I think that became a thing where like sort of like Robocop has become like, uh, uh, I think to anyone like younger than us, if they've seen RoboCop, they've almost certainly seen the director's cut because that has replaced the theatrical cut in terms of th- being the default version. Certainly with Blade Runner, that was oh yeah, Blade one. Runner, yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, what I'm saying is, 17 minutes is a lot of moves.
1: Yeah, um, and so uh, you know, I'm 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 proud of my students. They stuck with it. I tried to give them. Uh, a heads up. And then after the Donald Sutherland scene, I did pause it and I said, we're going to take a five minute break. If you need to use the restroom or something like that, um, which I, I was comfortable doing just cause like, I'm already asking them to do a lot. Cause like, I, I can't imagine high schoolers see, I can't imagine anybody sees movies A lot of movies that are like longer than two and a half hours. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so I, I adore JFK. It's one of my favorite movies. I think it's, I think it's definitely my favorite Oliver Stone film, which is saying something. I actually like him as a filmmaker. Um, I know he's kind of gone out of fashion. He was very eighties and nineties, but mm-hmm. I, when he was in his heyday, he was putting out amazing work. Yeah. I, I love platoon. I love born on the 4th of July. I love Nixon. Um, you know what? I don't love natural born killers, but I haven't seen it in a long time and I bet I would like it more now.
0: See, I think I would like, I, cause I used to love natural right. Born killers, but I was a little psycho. Yeah. Um, i would probably like it less now um but yeah snowden was just so
1: limp yeah that's true and then uh, i never saw world trade center i i heard it was for him shockingly sentimental um i did like w but i, I don't even, I, I think people think that's a surprise but it's actually
0: not i think he is a sentimental i i, I think is a very emotional director he is but people uh, got so caught up in the like him making political points right uh
1: that they sort of uh, overlooked the fact that he's a very emotional director it's but that's the thing is like I feel like his sentiment and his emotion and i would say it i mean he's he's definitely like a cynic in so far the the frustrated optimist, I think he wants to be optimistic, and I think that actually leads him to actually humanizing figures like. Richard Nixon and George W. Bush, because mm-hmm. I think he sees what they could have been, right. and that sort of thing. But um, but I think, from again, from what I've heard, and listeners, you're welcome to weigh in on this, World Trade Center is that sentiment, but without any of the style... It's done in a, apparently a very straightforward way without yeah. a lot of the style. I that mean, that Snowden kind of was, too. It yeah. didn't really feel Oliver Stone-ish. I guess we've got... Yeah, maybe he's maybe just like i don't have the energy to do this many edits uh, <laughs> yeah. per second um
0: yeah maybe, uh, maybe he like maybe he felt like he has a lifetime quota yeah. and he like <laughs> after any given sunday he was like i got to really <laughs> yeah. go on a run a diet on an edit diet yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, i, I can't career. pay these fees <laughs> um, but uh but yeah i i just it's such a wonderful film in that like it is just this huge information dump just every scene like the way these characters it's like list stuff and that it is it's what is it? Robert Richardson the DP the, the yeah the DP it's shot beautifully it's cut together beautifully like it is it is constant forward momentum which when you when it's just people talking and giving themselves and audience uh, the audience uh, information like it could be so monotonous and it would be so easy to get bogged down, but no, they just like through again, the, the editing style and also knowing where to end certain scenes and then how to shoot it. And I also think the actors themselves, because it could be very easy for them to feel like, all right, I'm clearly just a delivery device for this information, right? Like I, (laughs) I don't have to do anything. Um, and I would, I would single out Kevin Costner, who is someone that as a director and in some cases, an actor is someone he's just, not taken very seriously. Um, and when people think of like Robin Hood, Prince of thieves and just like that, he could be a very wooden actor, but when he locked onto a role that he felt that he clearly felt he got, yeah, he could be amazing. And I think he is marvelous. I've always liked JFK because he has to carry that thing. I mean, there's a, it's a good ensemble, but it's his movie and he's got that long monologue there at the end. And the, which culminates in him looking at the camera as he says, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. And not every actor could sell that. But I think because of, of his emotional lead up to that moment, I think he sells it completely and it does not feel hokey to me. Uh, it's yeah. I think the film works on every possible level. Um, yeah, I do
0: like. Kevin Costner a lot uh, especially as he's gotten older he's become like more of a character actor mm-hmm. he, uh, hidden figures I thought he was great he was great uh, yeah. in that one he's good in Molly's game it's just that that character is <laughs> boy uh, yeah. just wrong from the jump but yeah. uh, anyway the, uh, I wanted to tell him the story you mentioned Robert Richardson um, uh, another Natural Born Killers uh, bit of trivia so you know if you know Robert Richardson's Richardson's style you know he likes to have like a a sort of overexposed element in the frame. sometimes I think it'll be like an ashtray in JFK, you know, and he would get like, he would like hang a light directly Mm -hmm. over the table. And so I guess there was a shot in natural born killers where he wanted that, that gleaming bright thing to come off of Woody Harrelson's bald scalp. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess they had to like, in takes of the shot they had to like limit how much time they would like they couldn't get through a whole the whole scene in one because the light was so close and so focused on Woody Harrelson's head that it was literally in danger of like burning him (laughs) just from
1: its intensity but that's uh that's our Richardson here's another story from Nixon along those exact same lines uh yeah he had this overhead light that was just like you know the sun just blaring just like forcing itself on all of the actors. Uh, and there was a rug, uh, <laughs> and, and so the, you know, actors are doing their scene. And then James Woods, who played Haldeman, he goes, the rug's on fire. Uh, and the, the rug had sure enough burst into flame. Like that's how hot it was and how close the light was. Um, yeah, I, uh,
0: um, Back when I was when I'm, when we were in film school, I was taking cinematography classes. I was kind of going along that track for a while before mm-hmm. I decided to just do a sort of general film and video mm-hmm. uh, thing. And so... Um, uh, a, a guy who was an assistant cameraman or a camera operator or something for Robert Richardson came in, and he was a really like fun guy, but mostly told stories about how Robert, Robert Richardson is insane. Yeah, um, uh, yeah he would... Uh, they were like... Trying to, he said something on like Born on the Fourth of July. They were like in like this precarious thing. He's trying to like change the film, mm-hmm. and Rod Richardson just decided to start a snowball fight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's like got the camera open. He's like got his hands in the bag or whatever changing the film, and Rod Richardson is just like throwing snowballs at him. Great. Uh, Rod Richardson seems awesome. Uh, anyway. Okay. That, that feels
1: almost like you need medication.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, next up for me, my third and final documentary of this uh, movie journal, not my final documentary of my life. Uh, although it might have made me, made me give give up because it's not very good. Um, it's a documentary called Hurley. It's not about the character from Lost or oh. about the Weezer album. Um, it, it's, it's about uh, Hurley haywood i think is his name okay Uh, i i learned some stuff from this documentary that i didn't know which is i thought when it came when it came to like auto sports in my head there's stock car racing you know your uh nascar yeah and there's formula one your indy 500 that type of thing so i didn't realize and i'd even heard of you've heard of le mans uh le space M A N S. it's like a famous uh car race no i think i thought it was i'd heard of it I think I thought it was a Formula 1 race, but it's actually, there's a whole other thing called endurance racing, which is a team of racers driving in shifts, driving the same car for 12 to 24 hours. Um, So it's as much about the the endurance of the drivers as it is about the endurance of the car, because it's one car, and they're doing the thing where they switch the tires and everything, but it's one car that is running at... High, at top speed, almost for twenty four hours straight, and so I guess this guy Hurley Haywood is like the Michael Jordan of <laughs> endurance racing. At least from in America, because it's also a very popular sport in in France. That's where Le Mans is. Um, he was, I think, now uh, I can't remember if I got this right, but I think he was the first American to win at Le Mans, mm-hmm. and he did it his first time there when he was still like in his early twenties or something. Um, Anyway, so the movie's about him, and there's that, that's already, it should be fascinating, mm-hmm. all the things that I just said. Like, I didn't know this sport existed, and this guy's, uh, how do you go about being great at this sport? Yeah. The other thing that is also, again, it should be more fascinating if we weren't so superficial and dry, mm-hmm. um, is that he this movie premiering is him officially coming out publicly. He's been gay his entire life. And also, here's what's fascinating, he was within the world of racing and to his teammates, you know, and other people, everyone knew has known mm-hmm. that he was gay. It's weird you couldn't you couldn't keep that secret today. You right. couldn't be out as a famous race car driver, but not out to the public. Oh yeah. There's no way, way that would happen now. No. But so I like everyone's known he's been with, um, he's been with the same man for like 25 years now. Uh, oh, this and, guy's older than I thought. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, okay. yeah, he, his heyday was the late sixties, early seventies. Oh, okay. Um, and now he's still, he doesn't still race, but he's still like a team sort of owner, you mm-hmm. know, and he, uh, anyway, um, and uh yeah I, I get the some of the most powerful stuff in the movie actually the stuff that actually did work uh was the interviews with his husband um talking about all the years of like either not being able to go to the races because he didn't want to, oh, uh, to be honest, or it, but if they did go to the races and he when hurley would win you go to the thing that the Call it, the call victory circle, whatever, where there there's a the champagne and the roses and all the cameras and stuff. And then all the other athletes are there with their wives and girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would have to like watch through a chain link fence or something, you know mm-hmm. that, um, so that's the, the idea of what it's like to be with someone who's not out, I think right. is, uh, that was some of the most interesting stuff, but it's a very minor part of the movie. Um, but then there's, see this is the, the movie. It, it, it can't get into any of this because it can't pick what it wants to be about is okay. it about his career which is fascinating yeah. is it specifically about his coming out which it's not except for at times that it is okay or is it about the fact that he when he was in his heyday he was um the other like great american uh and now i'm forgetting the guy's name but great american endurance racer. it was like there was a time where it was like they were you know i'm trying to think of a, the. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. I was, that's what was um, oh, yeah,
1: I was going to suggest.
0: Yeah. I was going to go with Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, uh, uh but I, I knew you wouldn't know who those <laughs> people are. <laughs> um, uh, when it was that sort of thing. So they were friends, but also seen as, you know, rivals for like the crown. And that guy's life was much shorter. It turned out to be much shorter and more tragic mm. than Hurley's life. So a big part of it is about that. And I just, the movie is all of 80 minutes. Uh, and it feels like it feels like a it feels like it wants to be a puff piece and wants to be about something more more um, memorable or critical, but it can't pick any of the things.
1: It's it's just it just was real. It was just too lightweight. That's one of my least favorite types of documentaries. Um, and the person making it clearly they don't know that's what they're doing. Um, there's that movie Magician and it's about Orson Welles now of course I know a lot about Orson Welles oh, so right. I'm going to be frustrated by by its lack of depth but it's one of those things where it seems to be wanting to like be this love letter to Orson Welles while only ever being introductory and you're just like how, you can't be both of those like either like in the case of this, 80 minutes long, just, okay, you know what? Be a full two hours. Uh-huh. Be two full hours and really de- dive into this stuff. Like, give each moment, like, it's due. Um, Or be a- 80 minutes, lightly touch on these other things, and really focus on one aspect. But I yeah. think, because, that's the thing, is you and I are, are people who, we didn't know this sport existed. Yeah. So we certainly didn't know this guy existed. And so it's it is though it's trying to introduce yeah. everything but if you're gonna do it do it because yeah because it sounds like it's just like was this put it was funded by the chamber of commerce or something like that like <laughs> well, it feels he's yeah. a puff piece it feels like yeah like it could be that
0: one other thing i learned that i didn't know because this movie is um one of the producers of this movie is patrick dempsey who is not only an endurance racing fan he is an endurance racer he that's what he does. like he acts sometimes until mm. he's getting killed off on Grey's Anatomy. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, you're not caught up. No. You're still in season 11. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, um, I guess when he, yeah, when he's not, uh, on TV, he's, he's a race car driver. So yeah, he, there's a lot of interviews with him because he's one of the producers,
1: uh, and as I guess his friends with Hurley at this point, uh, I, I do have a question though. Okay. The way you describe the sport, it is a team of people that yeah. trade off how I man, maybe it's like being Michael Jordan or something like that. Like, how are you able to distinguish yourself yeah. as one person when, I, you know, I, I, I wish, I wish I knew. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and then you have another movie, right? I do. Okay. Uh, and I don't ne- necessarily need to touch on it but uh, very long. But um, so for e- to talk about editing, my Monday class, we watched JFK. My Tuesday class, we watched Hot Fuzz. Um, <laughs> very different. And I'm sure it, I don't think any of my students know that I do this podcast. But if any of my Monday students are listening, they're like, what the fuck? Seriously? I could have watched Hot Fuzz. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, featuring and uh, <coughs> Oscar winner, Olivia Coleman. I know in such a delightful type of role. Um, I, I've seen this film many times. I really enjoy it. Um, I think it's got a wonderful ensemble. Uh, each character, each actor knowing exactly what it is they have to do. Like both of the Andes just being assholes for no reason at all. Um, and just like, and Patty Considine especially having like when he's got, he's like, Oh, you've got a, a mustache and goes, I know. And (laughs) just like, like just a complete lack of, of, um, self-consciousness, which I, which I love. Um, and, and the glee with which Timothy Dalton plays a guy who's just constantly saying like, you gotta lock me up. I'm a slasher of prices, you know, and just crazy, (laughs) just like, trying to arouse suspicion even though he actually has done things wrong yeah um
0: i, I just love all of that um, <laughs> yeah, i love that he's the the red herring who turns out not to be the red yeah, herring. yeah yeah
1: uh there's just more of him than only him but uh so i i just i love all of that and then um but for, but from an editing standpoint which is sort of how i was thinking about it um wh- there there are just these little things You know, that certainly they move the story along, they set a very specific type of pace, but they can also reveal character as well. And something that I hadn't occurred to me until this time that, like, uh, whenever a character is getting, uh, a criminal is getting booked, you know, there's a very specific type of editing, a very specific, uh, the same song plays at every moment, uh, every time it happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think I realized that it was the same every time. And so, whether it be underage kids who got drunk Mm -hmm. or mass murderers, it's the same. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking like, well, I guess that tells you a little bit about the Simon Pegg character that like, if you commit a crime, he will see you only as in this way. Yeah. Uh, And, and I don't know if, if Edgar Wright was trying to go quite that deep or reveal that much or anything like that, but it certainly got me thinking about not just with this film, but the way that you can use filmmaking to reveal things about the character that you might not even be consciously aware of in the moment. And that to me is, you know, it's being a teacher has been interesting because it forces you because you, you cannot speak in shorthand. You and I can talk about editing all day long because we went to school Mm -hmm. for film. We've been talking about film for a long time. And when you're teaching people who kind of understand what editing is in the broadest possible way, it forces you to actually explain these things, and one thing that I've come to really realize is just how much, like, editing—maybe more so than cinematography or really any other aspect of filmmaking—like editing operates on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a very specific cut, it's supposed to be invisible, but not, uh, and that's something that is invigorating and infuriating to try to teach people. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so hot fuzz. And I think Edgar Wright in general, um, we've talked about just the way that he uses editing for comedic purposes, mm-hmm. but also that he brings his, and I also think that his, there's wonderful sound design in his films and just bring all of these things together because there is after a while, a certain lyricism to his editing style. So, when it comes right down to it, it was kind of a matter of time before he arrived at baby driver, like where mm-hmm. the characters themselves mm-hmm. are heavily influenced by yeah. music. And so the film would be as well. So anyway, uh, hot fuzz. I love it.
0: Yeah. I also, I wanted to mention before we move on, uh, someone who listens to this podcast actually told me that the guy who plays the reporter in hot fuzz okay. is a very funny stand-up and has a mm. great podcast okay. that, I, that was recommended to me. I haven't listened to it yet. This was recently, okay. <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, apparently he's supposed to be a very funny guy. Hmm. All right, uh, final film for me and of the episode um, is a film called Diane, starring, it's directed by Kent Jones, who uh, uh, was a film critic, used to be an editor at Film Comment, okay, uh, and now has made, he made that Hitchcock Truffaut documentary oh, uh, okay, yeah. two, three years What's ago. What's the name of that again? Uh, Hitchcock Truffaut. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> um, and uh, this is his first, He's made a couple of other documentaries or one or two others. This is his first, I guess, narrative feature. It's called Diane. It's called Diane. It stars Mary Kay place, uh, which is reason enough to see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, so what I wanted, I was thinking of the rainmaker cause he, uh, he was there. He introduced the film. Ken Jones did. And he talked about how this is something, this is an, I, the idea for this movie is something he'd been working out like for something like 25 years. And then once he saw the rainmaker, he loved Mary Kay place so much in it that the character started to change in his mind. And he started to write the script Hmm. with Mary Kay place in mind. Uh, and then she ends up being the star of the movie. Hmm. Um, and uh, I really, I
1: really, really think you would like this movie. Uh, Tyler, it's, um, uh, I got an invite to the, to a screening of it and it looked really good. I just didn't have time to Uh, go.
0: Mary Kay Place plays a woman, a, a, a widow who, uh, who is, she's a retired widow who pretty much spends all of her time in, in charity, either volunteering for charities or just helping people that she knows who are hospitalized or recovering from illnesses. And then she has a grown son played by Jake Lacey, mm-hmm. who is a, a drug addict or some sort. We don't, we don't know what drug, uh, I don't think, um, but uh, so she's trying to help him too. And it just sort of uh, follows her. At first it feels like it's going to be, it is going to be one of those movies. It's like, Oh, it's a week in her life. But then uh, as it goes on, like the first half or so is that. And then it takes a sudden big jump of a few weeks and then it jumps months. And then it jumps. It's suddenly, it's a really interesting structure. Hmm. Uh, each time it jumps, it seems to get further and further into the, uh, into the future. But um, it's it's just a marvelously well-acted uh film that has a great sense of um what community and family the mm-hmm. what it means for people who know each other well to spend time in a room together even if nothing uh there's a great scene of her with her older aunts and uncles sitting around at one of their homes in the kitchen and sharing stories and there's this great detail that throughout this long scene of just just laughing and having memories and sharing stories the kids of the younger family keep coming in popping into the kitchen to grab cookies off of the mm-hmm. plate and it's like they don't really stay or get commented on or like say anything but yeah. it's just like this this detail of the idea that this isn't just there's a whole thing going on in the house right this is where the older generation is, is hanging out. Um, uh, it's yeah, really beautiful. It's not, um, it's not ornately photographed, but it has a real warm sense of, uh, uh, the movie kind of always looks like, uh, like when you're indoors in the wintertime and it's dusk and you first have to turn a light on. It's just that that's the kind of palette of the
1: movie. I like that. Um, yeah. And I see that uh, it features uh, Andrea Martin. Andrea Martin? And the is great. great Estelle Parsons, uh, uh, who I hate to say it, I did not know she was still around. Um, who is Estelle, Estelle Parsons? Um, she played. She won an Oscar for Bonnie and Clyde, but she played Roseanne's mother in. Oh, oh. oh, yeah. She's great yeah. in this. Yeah. yeah, yeah no she's doubt. playing another, like,
0: Roseanne's mom type yeah. in a little yeah. bit, uh, a little ways. Probably a nicer person than Roseanne's mom, mm-hmm.
1: uh, but still very. Uh, outspoken <laughs> in, that, in that way. I know we're not talking about Roseanne, but I will say one of the things that I love about that show is that yeah, it's it was a sitcom, and sometimes it had kind of the standard like setup and punchline kind of thing, which is not a crime. But characters like to me, characters like Jackie, and then Roseanne's mom, yeah, feel so. Real, like it's they feel like it could have been the fil- the the show could have been like a one hour single camera yeah. drama, and those characters would be exactly the same. Like her mom, especially. There's such a specificity to her that yeah. feels a hundred percent right. There's even there's that episode where she buys DJ a Super Nintendo that uh, Dan, uh, Roseanne and Dan have been um, saving for, and. And just and in, in that moment, you realize like she has not, she means she does not mean ill at all. Yeah. She wants to be like a, a grandmother who's just like helping out her her grandson, but she just didn't check in, and that and the scenario feels like something that absolutely yeah. happens all the time. And just the way that she carries herself, I love that character. And to me, like that is like emblematic of why Roseanne was such a great show in the first place.
0: Yeah, I've, I think so many of the characters. Um, in many cases, the women of the show, like you mentioned, Jackie yeah. and the mom, uh, and then one of my favorite characters has always been Crystal from the show.
1: That's, I love, I love Crystal. No question about it. Like uh, she's, she's not the brightest, but she's got such a big heart, and she just, and yeah. she feels. I mean, she feels about as. Please don't think that I'm connecting these two. She's like, so Midwestern.
0: Yeah, I, be, I mean, that's the show being from, being from the Midwest. I feel like anyone from the Midwest has a mom who has a friend like crystal,
1: (laughs) you know, (laughs) and her name is probably crystal. (laughs) Uh,
0: yeah, it's too bad. I I never watched any of the revival and obviously it's a shame what Roseanne, uh, how, how she has gone off the deep end. But, uh, yeah, that, that show original recipe
1: Roseanne, uh, is an all timer for me. And, and what I heard about the, the new one, like before things started going bad is that like it, it was more, it was more overtly political, but because the country is more political. So like she would have she had so like the character of Roseanne like voted for Trump, Jackie, unsurprisingly, did not. Mm-hmm. And so like they ha so they have an episode where they just have that argument the way people do. Yeah. And yeah. but still having tremendous I affection guess. for one I another didn't watch it. But yeah. And uh that that sounds really good to me.